Today's episode is brought to you by SeatGeek, the smartest and easiest way to get tickets to every MLB game. With SeatGeek's seamless mobile experience, you can buy and sell tickets in just two taps. SeatGeek helps you find the best seats at the best prices, fully guaranteed. There's nothing quite like seeing the best plays of the year in person, and SeatGeek will get you closer to the action for a great value. I have the SeatGeek app on my phone, and it's the easiest way I know of to shop for tickets. If you get it too, you can be anywhere and with just a few taps, instantly find seats. And not just tickets to baseball games, but theater tickets, comedy tickets, and concert tickets too. SeatGeek is designed to make your ticket buying experience easier than ever, saving you time and money by searching multiple ticket sites to compare prices and find amazing deals. And to get you the most bang for your buck, SeatGeek grades every ticket based on value to help you immediately identify the best seats that fit your budget. Plus, every purchase is fully guaranteed, so you can shop for tickets on SeatGeek with confidence. Best of all, our listeners get a $20 rebate off their first SeatGeek purchase. To get your $20 rebate on tickets, download the SeatGeek app, go to the settings tab and click add a promo code, and then enter the promo code Ringer MLB. That's all one word. SeatGeek will send you $20 after you've made your first ticket purchase. So download the SeatGeek app and enter promo code Ringer MLB today. Hey, what's going on? Welcome to the Ringer MLB show. I am Michael Bauman. I'm a staff writer at TheRinger.com, and I'm joined this week by Meg Rowley of Baseball Prospectus. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing okay. I'm just faking you out because Ben is here. Ben Lindbergh, <laughs> your staff writer, is with us as always. Hi. Yes, I am. I decided to try out a new intro since I'm doing this now. What do you think about yeah. the Hey, What's Going On? Uh, it's very casual. I liked it, I think. Yeah. Okay. You didn't sing the Jerry song again, so I think we're doing great. <laughs> Yeah, well, for once we're talking to Meg about something other than what Jerry DePoto did because we don't want to hear a grown woman cry on <laughs> on a broadcast. So we're talking to Kevin Falls, the executive producer of Pitch, later on in the show. But first, I have some banter for you. All right. All right. So Saturday night, I was sitting at home looking at Twitter and uh, my former editor at D1Baseball.com, Aaron Fitt, was at the Arizona-Washington College baseball game, and he reported some outstanding news, which is that Arizona head coach Jay Johnson decided to pinch hit in the middle of an at-bat and then have the pinch hitter bunt. Johnson (laughs) is a practitioner of the so-called West Coast offense, which is if there's ever a runner on a base other than third and there are less than two outs, you automatically sacrifice bunt. And uh, I hate this and it's terrible, (laughs) but it got Arizona to the national championship last year. So I guess it works for them. Anyway, before he was a coach at Arizona, he was the hitting coach at the University of San Diego, where one of his charges was Chris Bryant. And I wanted to see how often Chris Bryant had bunted in his college baseball career. So I went to Baseball Cube and discovered that he had laid down one sacrifice bunt as a freshman. But while I was looking at his stat page, I noticed that between his college, minor league, and major league career, he has grounded into only 22 double plays in about 3,000 plate appearances. So mm-hmm. this caused me to go to Baseball References Play Index to see if that was as unusual as I had thought. And I found that 15 players since 1901 had 1,000 big league plate appearances with an isolated power that's slugging minus batting average of 200 or better and at least 120 plate appearances per double play. So it's Chris Bryant, Curtis Granderson, who's 
And I, I added the power component just to eliminate like the Ichiro types who never ground into double plays, although Ichiro grounds into a lot more double plays than Chris Bryant does. So out of those 15 players, there's Bryant, there's Curtis Granderson, nobody else before 1947. And of those 13 other players, 10 of them are in the Hall of Fame. So I don't know what this means. And I'm <laughs> curious if does this mean anything other than Chris Bryant just doesn't hit the ball on the ground all that much? He <laughs> runs pretty well for a big guy. Like, yeah, strikes out a lot, sort yeah. of. So it helps too. Yeah. He doesn't strike out that much, actually. These days, he uh, he strikes out about well, everybody a league average out. amount. So I, I think which he is still, still a lot, strikes but... out a lot. Yeah. Just <laughs> yes. <the league> Everyone <laughs> does. Yeah. Right. I don't know. I guess maybe there's something about where he hits his ground balls or maybe the fact that he hits them hard. And I don't know whether that makes them easy easier to turn double plays or harder to get in position to field them. But yeah, yeah, I remember there was a whole thing like Granderson a couple seasons ago, like almost went a whole season without grounding into a double play. There was a Granderson double play watch on, as I recall. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, Granderson runs better than Bryant does and he's left-handed. So you'd expect him to ground into fewer double plays. Mm -hmm. And Bill James had a theory that he discovered that Darren Dalton grounded into fewer double plays per plate appearance than Richie Ashburn did. And he thinks that's because power hitters with a lot of patience will will lay off that outside pitch instead of trying to pull it and rolling it over to second base. So maybe this is something that Bryant does. Mm -hmm. All right, moving on. Another thing, Cody Bellinger hit a grand slam off a pitch that was really hot. Well, it was a ball up over the zone on Saturday night. And Darren Willman of Major League Baseball, who works with a lot of StatCast stuff, tweeted out a picture of a strike zone and the ball the Bellinger hit out way above the strike zone. It looks like it's like another third of a strike zone above the strike zone. And then you look at screen cap, Jeff Passan had one at the moment of contact, and it's at the letters for Bellinger. It's probably a ball, but it's like, it's not nipples high, but it's like between the nipples and the shoulders. <laughs> and oh my. So, I, I mean, it was quite a sensual home run. So <laughs> I want to say, like, for people who talk about robot umps, like, this ball was nowhere near as high as the strike zone plot made it look like. This is why we can't have robot umps, because the robots are going to be worse than the humans. They're absolutely going to be worse than the humans. They're going to be consistent, but they're going to get stuff like the vertical height of the strike zone wrong all the time and we're so committed to this idea of the appearance of total objectivity that we're willing to build more error into not only this system but systems that underpin our entire society man in, in order to like and i just i'm fine with the way umpires do it now and i don't want robot umps but this also because cody bellinger is 16 feet tall we've got a lot of rookies or younger players between Bellinger, Judge, even Brian to a certain extent, Sano, Joey Gallo, who are, it makes me think differently about Giancarlo Stanton, who hit two home runs on Sunday. So maybe this is not the best time to have this discussion. Um, like we talked about Stanton as having this special gift, like his power was literally unique and it's not anymore. And now we're talking about Gallo, we're talking about Judge as guys who have that gift too. And like, does this make, like I've called him the mighty John Carlos Stanton on first reference for the past five years. And for some reason, our editors let me get away with that. And 
Like, is he just not comparatively mighty anymore? I talked for seven minutes in a row. So. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, well, there's a difference though, right? Between Cody Bellinger and judge, like judge and Stanton look like they are sort of of a piece with one another. Like they could be distantly related in the same tier of demigods that they seem to occupy in terms of their physique and Bellinger is a big guy, but he's not built the same way. I mean, I guess the technical answer is probably, yes, it's less special because you see guys doing the things that John Carlo used to do and make us just completely floored. But I don't know the number of guys that look like they're going to do what he does is still limited enough that he still has some kind of special John Carlo. Why are you not playing football shine to him? I guess. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think former podcast guest, Mike Petriello also of MLB used to talk about how Stanton was maybe just a historical outlier when it came to hitting the ball as hard as he does. And that we just happened to have Statcast come along in time to tell us how far from the field he stood out. And he did. I mean, he was completely on an island all alone the last few years, if you look at exit speed. And now he is not alone on that island. Aaron Judge has moved on to that island also and taken up a lot of space there. Oh, yeah, now the island's full. <laughs> yeah. So I think so. If you were thinking of Stanton as a one of a kind sort of all time hitting talent, aside from the fact that he's had trouble staying healthy, then I think that's no longer the case because there's at least a second player who seems to have that same sort of ability. But still, we're talking about two guys, maybe, of all of the baseball players. So it's still a rare talent and physique, just maybe not quite the generational talent that we thought it was. We've now got two players who can do that. I don't know. Like It might be more common than, than you're letting on because I think at least Gallo and Sano fit into that in terms of of side like they look like horsemen and <laughs> and like they've like, got that kind like of men power. who ride horses no or they look like men who are man horse horses hybrids. okay yeah. men who ride horses are smaller typically. so they're That's true they're yeah, so tiny. They're, they're centaurs yeah. you're saying <laughs> well i mean we have reportedly yeah, evidence retired, of, right, right of yeah. what a centaur on a baseball field looks like <laughs> yeah. um but like they've got that kind of power and they've they have bigger contact problems than stan mm -hmm. did but did like he's like i'm already talking about him like he's gone like like he's like Aaron Judge has slain him in single combat, and this is just a thing of the past now. Yeah, no, he he hit two bombs on Sunday, so as you said, and they were pretty impressive. So, yeah, I think he stands out a little less. I mean, that's just the arc of history, right? Players getting bigger and stronger and striking out more, but also probably hitting the ball harder. So. Maybe he was ahead of his time when he arrived several years ago. There wasn't really anyone who looked like him. And since then, the landscape has become populated with a few players who sort of stand out in the same way. Well, I will say that Bellinger, like when he hit that home run, it did remind me of Stanton just because you have guys like Judge who are hitting the ball incredibly hard and incredibly far. But I still think that Stanton sort of leads the league in those home runs where you're like, how the heck was that a home run, you right. know, like the ball is like two feet off the plate. He barely got any of it. Like ha not only was it a home run, but it was a big home run. It like hit a lot of things very hard. And so he still has a little bit of that mystique that, you know, I imagine judge will like take care of tomorrow, but, um, <laughs> Bellinger's home run did remind me of that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, Bellinger's stood out since spring training for me. Cause I was in the, the Dodgers clubhouse a little bit and I didn't know what he looked like. 
And so there was just this, like, I'd turn around and, and that team's got some big guys on it. Like, you know, Kershaw's pretty big, Rich Hill's big, Puig's big. But like, I turn around, Cody Bellinger's standing right there. I'm like, that's like the biggest person I've ever seen in real life. But yeah, I mean, you certainly understand how he hit that ball out. Anyway, I think I've settled down since <laughs> the sugar high that I apparently started the podcast on. <laughs> All right, we'll be right back with Kevin Falls, the showrunner of Pitch, to reflect on the first and sadly only season and discuss the show's legacy and the challenges of doing a sports series on TV. Dollar Shave Club is the smarter choice. It's the way to get a great shave at a great price, conveniently delivered right to your door. It's an awesome life hack and a no-brainer choice. You no longer have to choose between schlepping to the store to buy a cheap disposable razor that gives you a cheap shave, or spending a fortune on razors with gimmicky shaving tech you don't need. When you use your Dollar Shave Club executive razor with their Dr. Carver Shave Butter, the blade just gently glides, giving you a smooth shave. Dr. Carter's Shave Butter is transparent for a more precise shave, which helps prevent ingrown hairs and fights razor bumps. The only downside for me is that when I shave, I look like I'm about 14 years old, but that's not Dollar Shave Club's fault. I can't blame them for doing their job too well. And you too can make the smarter choice by joining Dollar Shave Club. For a limited time, new members get their first month of the Executive Razor with a tube of Dr. Carver's Shave Butter for only $5 with free shipping. After that, razors are just a few bucks a month. That's a $15 value for only 5 bucks. In your first month's box, you get a weighty handle, a full cassette of four cartridges, and a tube of shave butter. After your first month, replacement cartridges ship automatically at the regular price and there are no hidden fees and no commitments you can cancel anytime you like but you probably won't like to you can only get this offer exclusively at dollarshaveclub.com slash mlb show that's dollarshaveclub.com slash mlb show so we are joined now by Kevin Falls, who was the showrunner of Pitch. He was on the show last year under happier circumstances. And now we are here because about a week ago, we got the news that Pitch was not getting a second season. But we wanted to bring Kevin back to talk about what the show meant to, to us, to him, to a lot of people, because the three of us on this call, aside from Kevin, are probably three of the most disappointed people that there's no season <laughs> two of Pitch, aside from from people actively involved in making it. So, Kevin, thanks for coming back on. Hi. Well, hello. Yeah, I wish it was a. I wish we were talking about season two. Mm -hmm. um, but, but I, I appreciate you guys being supportive and big fans of the show. Yeah, we are. We are profoundly disappointed. Um, it's been it's been a tough week. We'll talk about the show itself soon. But I want to ask about this whole process of being in limbo and waiting for the news. And it seemed like the cast was very supportive. You had the leads sitting out of pilot season, hoping that it would come back. You had a fan campaign and you've been waiting quite a while. So what has that been like? How did you sort of try to keep things open for a second season while not knowing whether there would be one? Well, I think the reason why we didn't know right away is because I really do believe, and in fact, I not believe, I know that Fox wanted to find ways to bring it back. And the actors signed a seven-year deal to stay with the show. So they weren't released to be on pilots because because mm -hmm. the studio network did not want them to, because they felt like there was a, a good possibility that pitch would be back. Unfortunately, with our show, is because it was so specific and domestic, uh, and that it had to do with baseball, it was a difficult show to sell overseas. And that's where they can recoup a lot of their money back with the show isn't necessarily doing well in the ratings because they have foreign sales, um, which make it okay to, to, to bring a show back. For instance, that's why a lot of procedurals do well. It's because mm -hmm. they 
they sit in a cave abroad. So this pitch didn't have that. It had tremendous goodwill on Pico Boulevard uh, mm-hmm. in Los Angeles, but it didn't. It just it, they couldn't they couldn't have it make business sense. I think if the if the network was doing better and could maybe had a couple big hits on 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 the schedule where they could go, okay, we can we can make this Friday Night Lights and and see if we can live with this uh, another year. Uh, but it's very difficult for them to launch second year shows. Uh, that's not to say <laughs> that I was, I wasn't upset. I uh, went through the seven, how many stages of denial of, of, of anger and denial and whatever it is that, that you have to go through. I went through all those mm-hmm. as did the, um, the cast and, and to make those calls on, on Monday morning. And it was not, it was not, not, not fun, but I, I will say this, that the network it had to be on was Fox. And it was a brave choice to put a sports show like that in prime time. And I would rather have lived one year and doing this wonderful show that was probably one of the highlights of my career. And as far as being able to enjoy doing something, but also knowing creatively you were, you were, you were doing something that people liked. So I would rather have that than not to have had it happen at all. And, and I can also tell you a funny story uh, uh, later about the morning in November, 20. 15, I believe, where I, I got from Dan Fogelman two scripts because we have the same agent and we're both at Fox deals. One was This Is Us and the other mm-hmm. one was Pitch. And um, I chose Pitch and I never thought, even though This Is Us is a big hit, Pitch, and by the way, at the end of the day, who knows if Dan would have thought I was the right choice for This Is Us, but I mm-hmm. never thought twice about it. Pitch was, from the get-go, just a, a wonderful experience and turned out to be a, a, a wonderful show. It just didn't get the audience. So right after it, the news dropped, um, you know, people were, you know, I expressed my uh, sadness that that the show was gone, and people were, you know, saying, "I wish that this could get picked up on Netflix or Hulu or you know, a cable channel or something." But you know, it always struck me that part of what made the show so good was the realism, and a lot of that had to do with Fox. The just because Fox is such a big Major League Baseball, uh, or it's such a big part of Major League Baseball. So, you know, not that sort of thing always felt like a pipe dream anyway, but does Fox's involved, like, did this need to be on Fox? So that's a good question. I know that they tried. They tried video on demand. They, they did. So early on, we, you know, we, we didn't just get the news on Monday and we're, we're T-boned by it. We saw it coming because the commitment wasn't coming as early as we wanted. So, and we not only... WME, but also Fox was looking for other ways to do this, whether it was video on demand or going to Hulu or going to these other places. But for reasons I'm not quite entirely clear on, and I will, as we kind of do the autopsy on this uh, over the coming weeks, there may be a, a reason for it. But it's hard for a lot of these places, other studios, Netflix, Hulu, they, they're developing their own programming. And so to take on somebody else's show that, that is perceived that wasn't a creative failure, but didn't get an audience, it's hard for them to say, okay, I'm going to sideline the development I've been working on for maybe a year or a couple of years so we can bring in somebody else's show that has a marginal success status. So that's part of the reason. But you know, these conversations will, will continue. I'm not optimistic. There are some other ideas maybe for closure that we're going to discuss. Dan is doing, directing his movie that he wrote. He's in Spain. So all we've been able to do is really text. We had a brief conversation on Monday. But there's things that we're going to talk about when he returns in a couple of weeks. So it'll, it'll be ongoing. But, you know, I'm 
been doing this long enough to know that this is sometimes it, most of the time it's not a, a happy ending, but this feels different because there's so much goodwill towards the show. So who knows? I'm curious if, I mean, this is sort of a, the partnership that you had here with Major League Baseball is sort of unprecedented when we think about shows about sports, um, being able to actually show Ginny in a Padres uniform and have footage from this year's All-Star game was pretty special. And, you know, I can't imagine that you would change any of that, but I'm sure you're still processing sort of what you might've thought to do differently or kind of how it failed to resonate quite the way you, uh, you wanted it to. But as you're thinking down the road, do you have anything that you'd say to sort of the next showrunner that's trying to look at a professional sports league in terms of sort of ways that they might adapt the format a little bit better to TV or try to sort of bridge that gap so that there is more of a sort of natural audience? Well, maybe do soccer since it'll have international appeal. (laughs) (laughs) I think, Meg, that the one thing I think we probably could have done better, I think, you know, listen, it would have helped with the lead in. It would have helped not going against Monday Night Football. It would have. Sports is difficult anyway because there's an assumption by an audience that it's just not going to be for them. I worked on Sports Night back in the day and I remember they they just the name Sports Night people thought it was Sports Center. So it just mm-hmm. you automatically cleave off uh, an audience that just doesn't think it's going to be something. I think that probably we've done we've talked about Student Network, we've talked about it. Was there another way that you could have marketed this? Could it could have been I wouldn't want to get away from the Jenny Baker of it all in the first woman to pitch in the major major leagues, but also remind people that it's not going to just be about baseball, that it's going to explore a lot of the, uh, the players on the team, their lives, what's going on. So you have a bigger tent that maybe brings an audience in. I feel like there was – Major League Baseball was great in what they allowed us to do. They were wonderful, wonderful in, in being partners, not only providing uniforms and stadiums, but the stories that we could tell. We wanted to tell a story about the first gay player. And we talked about doing it last year. But what happened was we felt like it was going to eclipse Jimmy's story. And so that was going to be one of the stories that they, what we would do if we would add a season two. And Jenny would be the perfect person to take something like this under her, under her wing. But it was one of those things where, in fact, not only that, they, they're ready, the Department of Inclusion that MLB has is, they're waiting for that gay player to come out. They're going to be ready for it. So they were eager to tell that story and actually get in front of it. I think what, what we missed, though, was that did Major League Baseball appreciate that they had a one-hour advertisement for their game that was attracting an audience that doesn't go to ballparks. You, you, you look at these stadiums, and they're mostly white faces. And we had a very diverse audience, a diverse cast. And did they capitalize on that? I don't know. Did did everybody, as far as the synergy goes, with did we get enough promotion during the World Series? I would argue not. But the reasons for that that are business reasons. I think that there might have been different ways that we could have, and I would say to another show, and make sure if you're doing it in tandem with an NFL or an NBA, that everyone's kind of working together because there's a mutual interest that we could have done better with or done better in executing. That would be something that even going into the second season, we were aware of. Major League Baseball was was aware of that, and we were going to do better in MLB helping market the show, Fox Sports, and and, and the network. If we had gotten a second season, um, we would have tried to, to do better in, in marketing it. That would be the, the biggest thing. But I think, I mean, it, I would ask you guys, what did you like most about the show? I, I liked being able to go into the locker room and go into the front offices 
sometimes the audience wanted more of Boston. They wanted more of their personal lives. Some people wanted more baseball. Meg, you were saying more about that we could have done better with sabermetrics. I agree. Those are all the things that we could have done better, but you're, you're trying to appeal to the broadest audience possible. And sometimes that's hard to do. Yeah, I don't know whether the three of us really loving the show is a good sign or not. <laughs> I'm not sure whether that <laughs> means that the the typical viewer would like it or not. I mean, I think what sets Pitch apart from some other shows that are mourned because they end before their time it, you know, some of those shows are very highbrow or niche or or challenging or they're a tough watch in some way. Whereas I think Pitch, if you could be persuaded to give it a try, it was a fun watch. It was an easy watch. It wasn't necessarily a watch you needed a ton of specialized information and knowledge to appreciate. But maybe if you only saw the premise or the promo, you would have thought that was the case. And I think all three of us liked it a lot because of the baseball. And it was nice to see the thing that we spend a lot of our time on, on TV in a pretty realistic and thought out manner. But I think ultimately that wasn't what we were really there for. You were there for the relationships between the characters, which is something that anyone could like in theory. Yeah. And just to tag on to that, what separates us from other shows that I've liked that got canceled or were always on the edge, you know, something like Firefly or Community where there's this huge online groundswell to to do more of it my frustration here is like with those shows i didn't really feel like there was a whole lot more of the universe to explore but my disappointment here is like i wanted to see how Ginny developed and you know how her role within the clubhouse changed over the course of years what happened what happened to mike you know what happened in the front office what you know how the padres evolved and you know that's just sort of it it felt like it set up a really big universe that we only got a fraction of I, I agree. We, you know, the big concern after the pilot, which which a wonderful pilot that I had very little to do with because Rick and Dan wrote it and I came aboard to run the series, was that everyone thought, oh, that's a great movie. What's the series going to be? And I felt like we found that anyway. You know, we found that easily. The baseball calendar helps you. It gives you built-in stakes, whether it's if you make a playoff run, we'll say you have that in October, but you have trade deadlines, you have all-star games, you have the stress on families. Not to mention this year, we, I remember when the Adam Jones incident happened, uh, I got emails from writers going, damn it, you know, that's, we wanted to get more into the racial issues beyond just the gender issues. We were, mm-hmm. That was the show that I felt like we could have used baseball and the front office and the athletes and our diverse cast to, as a prison to tell a lot of the stories that are happening in, in the world and the country. And that's the thing that bumps me out. Is, and, and what I also think is, was unique about the show and what I was fortunate enough to work on sports night and West wing is you kind of get, you just got to go behind the scenes of something. It's not a cop show or a law show or a legal show. Those are all great shows. They last because they have enhanced stakes each week. They have life and death each week and you're able to, to capitalize on that's why there's so many. So these shows, shows are hard to sell and they're hard to execute, but I felt like we did it in a way that, that we, we respected the audience you know, it was something Aaron used to always say to me is he would always say like, all right, we can be smarter than the audience here. They know what's going on and let them catch up. As long as they trust that the characters know what's going on and that they're smart at what they do, we can, we can talk a little bit with language that they haven't heard before uh, because they like that makes the world seem 
seem rarefied in a way that they're lucky to be there and let us just listen and we'll figure it out because audiences are smart. You know, they know they don't like something and we heard about it. But I, I think that's more than anything else. We always respected our audience and um, as, as small as it may have been. The other thing I felt like I'm disappointed in, guys, is I really wish I, I, we went. We were very proactive in the off season because we wanted to do it since something's on our on our own. And so MP and Rick Singer and I went to spring training. And we had a guy named Michael Wiggins who was, was with, with, with the help of the Padres and helped us with all these stadiums. We wanted to like, we were going to set the second season and start in spring training. And we wanted just to see how it, it worked. And we also wanted to meet guys, people like Larry Bear, who was very, very helpful. We talked to uh, Cash. We talked to other GMs to try to go, look, at, we, we want your help. We wanted we think this is a show that's important to baseball. And I was surprised by how many people and these fans when I walked with MP didn't know who MP was. A few did. Mark Paul Gosser, MP, we call him MP. Uh, that, that a lot of people didn't know what the baseball fans didn't know about the show. And that bummed me out. I said, oh, well, they're going to watch it. And I, and I felt like we maybe they just dismissed it because I thought, well, you know, a woman will never make it in the major leagues. And, I, and that's the thing because I really do feel like you guys that they would have like the show. Well, if it makes you feel any better, I doubt that it will. But if it helps at all, my mom, who is a lawyer and a very casual baseball fan, was so happy to watch a show that was not another procedural where they get the ins and outs of trial procedure, right? So I don't know if that offers much consolation, but it it didn't it did not go unnoticed. <laughs> yeah, no, I and that and that's and I know the audience we we had and they're they're passionate and they kind of stuck around. I do feel like we could have grown that audience because I think there's the vote of confidence when you pick up a show in, in the first season, even a show that's struggling, it's a message that's sent out to to fans or to, to the casual TV viewer that, oh, I heard that show's good, but I didn't want to watch it because I figured it's going to be off the air. you know. And they feel like they now they can go and watch the show. I do feel like we could have improved upon it, but they have, you know, Fox has the numbers that, that, that argue that it's very difficult to do that. But um I think if people, more people would have watched it, they would have liked it. You know, I really do believe that. I just feel like they would never, they didn't know it was on or they just had a snap judgment on what the show was going to be. Mm-hmm. So when you look back, I don't know how much reflection you've, you've done so far, but comparing the product on screen to what you had in your head as you were working on the scripts and starting the production, what are some things that you thought worked completely well, whether they were, went as planned or took a different direction? And what are some things that you struggled with or weren't quite satisfied with or were looking forward to getting a chance to do better? Yeah, I think we, um, I think the things that I always was drawn to, I actually liked, despite what you guys liked, I liked the baseball business. I liked athletes in a locker room. I liked Jenny and how, how Jenny just was, what Jenny's character what was hard, what we used to get this note from the networking studio is she needs to be more proactive. Well, that's, you know, that's the one, the problem with her character is it's an extraordinary character that's accomplished something at a very high level, but she's now mixing with men and all she wants to do is keep a low profile. She wants to fit in. So you have to be able to follow that story in a very realistic manner, which is what we did. We said, well, what would she do? She'd be like Jackie Robinson. She would, She'd want to be a good teammate first and help the team win. And then it, and everything else is going to happen around her. And how would she react to that? 
Now, Jack Robinson has to deal with as much media as there is nowadays, and we were able to, to approach that in a very realistic way. So that part, I think we did well, I think, dealing with trade deadlines and waiver wires, although we may not have you know, everything you know, in, in an accurate way, we, we strive to. We really did try to. We had a consultants on the show that helped us with that. And I think that I think we did that well, all things considered. I thought we did an amazing job for a weekly TV show shooting baseball. That's really hard to do. But, but between GFX and our baseball um, consultants that were guys like Greg Olson and Royce Clayton and Mike Fisher and all these guys who came in that helped the players play, the actors, some of these were real baseball players that acted and some of them were actors that had to play. I thought we, we did as good a job as we could. Uh, on, a, on a weekly television show. I think we could have done better in some of the backstories in execution of them. I think we, we needed, the Studio Network wanted it, and it really did need that as a lifeblood. It needed soap. We just can't help. We could not live on just the baseball alone. I think we were still trying to make that work. I think we would have done more of that in a season two. I know we would have, because there was even a conversation of, really reducing the budget. So we might've lived more in their personal lives. The difficult problem, the, the, the challenge with something like that is that baseball teams play baseball every day, major league baseball teams. <laughs> so you're kind of traveling, you're living that routine every day. That's why you built a clubhouse set. Um, whereas if you were a basketball or football team, you probably could go home with them more and deal with more of that. So we would have had to figure out a way around that. But I think, I think we would have done less flashbacks we did it in the first season. I think towards the end of the season, we did less. I think the show would have lived with less flashbacks. But um, you guys could be a tell. Believe me, I tell me what we could have done better. I'm I'm all ears for my next soccer show. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, as you were saying, the Ginny and Mike relationship was, uh, I guess, one that some fans were excited about, others were angry about or not comfortable with. I don't know how you two felt specifically. I, I kind of liked them as friends and mentor and, you know, mentored more so than love interests and wasn't sure that I, I totally wanted that to be a big part of the show and wasn't sure if it would be going that way or if it was just sort of something you have to do when a show is on TV and you have to, to hook people with a casual interest in the subject matter. Yeah, I I agree. I wasn't crazy about that going there, but I mean, that wasn't what sunk the show, obviously. You know, it just felt a little obvious, although I don't know if two people that good looking can be in close proximity and not, you know, <laughs> want to hook up. This is something I don't have experience with. So, you know, I don't, I don't know if it's, if it is realistic from that standpoint. Well, I, I and I'll say, I mean, I think we've all talked about this. It wasn't um, a development that I was necessarily a huge fan of, although I did appreciate that it got tucked away in that final episode in a way that I thought was appropriate, where, you know, the, the circumstances under which they were going to potentially explore something like that were him, you know, getting traded away and not being her teammate. And as soon as that circumstance changed, they had that sort of realization that that wasn't going to be a sustainable development in their, in their friendship. So, you know, I was, you, you guys uh, made us nervous, but I think you course corrected well at the end and did it in the sort of best way possible, which was for Jenny to sort of put her foot down and say, this isn't, you know, something that we're going to entertain right now. So you found your way at the end, I think. Well, we we believe that was, um, you know, early on there was, Jen wanted them to kiss. And I think the more we talked about, the more we get to know a show, you just realize, well, now this is just, a, you know, an idea that we don't want to 
to do. And Dan realized that too, but we wanted to fly close to the sun. We wanted them to show their hand and that's, that's, that's what we wanted. And then pull back. And that would have always been there, but I certainly going to season two, uh, it, that would have been the end of that. In fact, Michael Austin would have got to bet, got to go to his wife for a while. Jenny, perhaps with Tyler or, or no one, but it was really about repairing that mentor mentee relationship going forward. She would have been hurt. So she had to, after we haven't, she certainly didn't hear catch her. Really what we were going to deal with is the fracture in the friendship between um, Mike Lawson and blip. So there were those things, but, but yeah, we, we, we were with you. We, we knew that we were going to just try to go as close as we can. And it actually turned out to be a pretty good episode. And I felt like we didn't do irreparable damage to the characters, but your instincts were, were correct in that we, it would have been a mistake if we would have gone all the way with it. I said all the way like it's high school. <laughs> <laughs> How much of, of season two had you sort of planned out? Yeah, because we had to, um, again, I can't emphasize this enough. As much as I want to like blame a, a studio or a network and say, if you've done this, you've done that, I, I'm talking about a, a studio network that had such goodwill towards the show. They really, really did want it to, to survive. And so they were saying, just make sure, you know, we tee this up and we're coming back that we, we're going to explore a lot of compelling, provocative relationships and that this is going to be a great second season. Give us a reason, you know, if it comes to come to jump ball, because back then when this is like November, um, when we were talking about this is we were also hoping that, you know, the plus sevens and, and the streaming would have Fox now measures their shows, factors in all those the metrics and how it streams and how it does. And, and other um, platforms. So we we want to be able to, to make the argument in March and April that, you know, that this is going to be a great show coming back. And then they did. They like what we we're going to do. So like I said, we were starting spring training. I can tell you now that someone would have died. Whoa. <laughs> we, would have, we would have torn a page out of the, the sus book and, um, and done something dramatic like that, but not in a way that would have been gratuitous oh like that was a stunt no we would everything everything we try to do we want to do organically there was things that here was here was something we discussed and i can i see all the faces the writers that were for and against it but um and, and by the way a shout out to that wonderful writing staff that i had the honor to work with they were they were wonderful and the part of one of the many reasons including the terrific cast uh that uh made the show great but there was a discussion about amelia coming back and she's pregnant and Mike Lawson was the father and the, the part of that, which we would have done it in a cool way, either we since we were jumping to spring training, who knows when we'd reveal that. But remember that Emilio's character in, in the second episode, it's revealed that she couldn't get pregnant. So lo and behold, she gets pregnant with Mike Lawson. There was, there was, there was a lot of discussion about whether that would, whether that would have happened or not. It remains to be seen. I know the studio network loved the idea. I think there were people on, in, in the writing staff uh, that from, from executive producers down to writers that were on both sides of it. Uh, but those are the things that we would have been talking about going to change. We know we would have to, again, there would have been pressure on us and a lot of it self-imposed is to do something, some bigger things. So people, you know, to draw more eyeballs, but also get people leaning forward and wanting to watch the next episode. So that, that would have been maybe the price to the second season. So that would have been something like that. It was like mentioned somebody, uh, somebody dying. I won't say who. Was it Will? <laughs> Can you just say whether it was Will or not? Because I could have stood to have him get off by the mob or somebody you know, he owed money to. <laughs> Did his brother? 
Yeah. Jimmy's brother? Uh, probably not. Okay. I actually love BJ Bread. I think he's a wonderful actor. I do I do feel like we could have done and I we may I think you maybe started this. I think we could have done probably better with that uh that story. I think there was there was more to be done with them. That you know, by the way, I think we had bigger plans and for very uh, for reasons I won't get into, we we didn't go that way. But I, I don't think we would have we maybe would have rehabilitated him or come up with something different. But I doubt we would have offed him. So there you go. Now you can go to another suspect. <laughs> I guess the sort of the last question that I have is, you know, this show, you put you put a woman at the center of a story around Major League Baseball, which is not something we've seen either really fictionalized or obviously in real life, uh, at least not in, in modern times. And I, I wonder kind of how you guys thought about your role maybe inspiring um, young women and girls and how you thought about the relationship that the show might have with that particular slice of your audience. Because I know I wrote for Baseball Perspectives that the show meant a lot to me for a lot of those reasons. And I'm just curious how you guys kind of conceptualize that. We took that very seriously. We're very aware of it. We're very proud of it. And no one more so than Kylie Dunbarry. She she knew about those girls. She, on her own, went out and was Grand Marshal for Sherman Oaks Little League. And she she took that very seriously, and that and not to just you know what I will compliment you. What I loved about your column was that was that you pointed out the whole idea that it's it's hard for women and people to envision something that their particular gender or their race has never done before. But it, what helps with that is seeing somebody perform that role, whether it's in fiction or if it's even in, in some other part of the world where you start to see someone having access to being an ast- astronaut or a baseball pitcher in our case, and even a minor league baseball player, like what happened with the Sonoma Stompers. We took that very seriously. And you feel in Jenny's the pressure of what Jenny has to be in that, in that episode in 106, um, where I think it was called Wear It, where it was, she started to feel, not all, she started to feel the burden of having to be somebody there's so many different people. And that, that, that's one of the upsetting things. So the, one of the, the checklist of things that were upsetting, that's one of them high on the list of disappointments that the show's not coming back is because what, I think also with, you know, Dana Walden, when she first, I didn't see this, but I know that when she, Dan and Rick had this wonderful video that they played for like, throw like a girl that moved Dana to pick up the show to, to actually order the pilot. And it was the reason why, it, she wanted to succeed. We felt that. We thought we thought about the little girl. And and your last line of your story, Meg, when you know the whole thing you talked about Joe Buck, you know, we've been waiting for you. When he talks about Jenny's arrival, and that last line, and I can't. You probably know it. You know it because you wrote it. But I'm paraphrasing is that we're still waiting, and we'll continue to wait. Was a, was very moving to me, and um, something that we took very seriously, and feel like in some ways felt like we let them down that we didn't do if we would have done something else different maybe maybe the show would have gotten a second season so we 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 um we're we're, we're sorry we really we really tried and we wish we would have had another season to to give you give someone a role model that all of us can look up to the one thing i always love when we showed this pilot at the um, atx festival in austin last year is everyone's talking about what a great they couldn't wait to show this, watch the show with their daughters. And a woman raised her hand at the back of the audience. And she said, I can't wait to watch this with my son. And I thought that was just as profound 
as important as the little girls who could watch. So we'll end, I guess, by asking one specific question, which you might not be able to answer if there's any hope of providing some closure in some form. But the last time we see Ginny, she's sliding into an MRI machine. She's hurt her elbow. How should we think of her health if we if we don't see her again? Is she day to day in our heads? Is she she's not on the Mets, so that's yeah, a good I sign, I guess. I'm assuming that you weren't going to do a full season of Tommy John rehab because oh, that God, probably no. wouldn't have been the most no, entertaining. We we're going to go with you know she again. She has to make the team. Put it this uh-huh. way, I do know in our alternate universe, Ginny is throwing on the side. I think she's actually throwing soft toss right now and is on a track to be back for spring training in our in our calendar and, and earn her way back on the squad. But also what we'd explore, and I believe is going to happen with Ginny, is she's going to be on a team again and not be a rookie anymore and dealing with not being a rookie. And who's going to be that rookie coming in when she has to impart wisdom? And I think she's going to have a lot of it. But I also feel like a lot of all of us as executive producers, and I could speak for the two creators, feel like we haven't gotten closure for Jenny yet. Mm-hmm. And I know that we're going to continue to discuss a way to have closure. And whatever form that takes, that will be a discussion that we're going to still ha- still going to have. So I'll just leave it at that. All right. Well, we wish you luck with that. We wish you luck with whatever your next full-time project is. And we're glad that you got to make some pitch. We would have liked more pitch. So thank you, Kevin, for making it and, and for also coming on to talk about it. And we'll talk to you again when the soccer show comes out. Right. <laughs> yeah, I got to phone up on soccer. Well, thank you guys. And thank you for being advocates of the show and being fair and, and tough when you, you were writing the criticisms and, and um, we, we welcome, we welcome the support. So thank you very much. And um, hopefully I'll talk to you guys again. Hopefully maybe about pitch. Yes. Yeah. Thanks you guys so much. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you. All right. Well, I'm glad we could all come together to mourn and induct pitch into the pantheon of beloved one season shows. It's resting now somewhere with my so-called life and freaks and geeks and undeclared and firefly and terriers and the grinder. Hopefully we'll still see it in some form, but this was a cathartic talk for me. Yeah. So if Kevin Falls actually does make this soccer show, you know what he could call it? What? Pitch. Because that's what they call they've already they've this pun has already been made in sports media because the bad Jimmy Fallon fever pitch was based on a good Colin Firth soccer movie called Fever Pitch. Oh, all right. The more you know. Based on the, the memoir of the same name by Nick Hornby, which I would I would recommend. All right. Thank you for coming on, Meg. Thanks for having me. Thanks again to Dollar Shave Club for sponsoring today's episode. Dollar Shave Club is the smarter choice. Get a great shave at a great price, conveniently delivered right to your door. And for a limited time, new members get their first month of the Executive Razor with a tube of Dr. Carver's shave butter for only $5 with free shipping by going to dollarshaveclub.com slash MLB show. After that, razors are just a few bucks a month. That's dollarshaveclub.com slash MLB show.